Hey everybody, it's Matt. Welcome or welcome back to the Journey Church Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can automatically get our weekly episodes. And you might want to go ahead and subscribe to our Journey YouTube channel as well. You'll find messages, music, interviews, inspiring stories, and more for you all right there. Now, I hope this episode helps you take your next step in following Jesus. We're in week two of the series that we started last week called Amazing, Discovering a Grace That's Personal. And I said last week, I know I'm naive. I just, I don't understand why everybody wouldn't want Christianity to be true because of this idea of grace. Maybe not the version of Christianity that has been presented to you or that you experienced, your parents experienced, you know, whatever that may be. I'm talking about the version of Christianity that Jesus introduced to the world. I don't know why everybody wouldn't want that version to be true because at the core of that version is this unbelievable idea of grace. Here's how we define it. Grace is simply the unearned, undeserved, unconditional love of God. It's getting exactly what we don't deserve. And come on, we have all had moments in our lives where grace is what we crave the most, right? We've had it in our relationships with other people when we messed up, when we hurt somebody deeply, when we did something we knew we could never undo and there are going to be significant consequences. You have found yourself in moments where you were craving grace from them. And if you believe in God, you have found yourself Uh, at moments in your life where you craved grace from God more than anything else because you knew you'd messed up and you weren't sure the impact that was going to have on your relationship with God. And yet what God offers all of us is the very thing we crave the most, an unearned, undeserved, unconditional love from him. The thing about it that's interesting though is that grace can only be experienced in the context of relationships. You can't experience it any other way. Relationships are to grace what your UPS driver is to your Amazon packages. Give you a second, think about that. But yes, like you go order, order, order. Some of you are actually doing that right now. That's okay, I'm not offended. You order, 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 right? But it doesn't matter how much you're ordering, all that stuff that you want. It's at the distribution center and it'll never get to you unless there's a man or a woman who's willing to drive it to you and drop it at your front porch. Well, in the same way, grace is incredible. It's incredible. But as long as it stays like an idea out here, as long as it stays like a theory, as long as it stays like a belief, it's never going to get to you. The only way for grace to become personal is for you to experience it delivered through relationships, which is why, by the way, Jesus showed up on this earth because he knew the thing that we needed most was grace. And he knew the only way for us to experience grace personally was if he connected with us relationally, if he demonstrated it, if he modeled it. And so that's what he did. And the thing that's most amazing to me about it all is that the terms he gave us for experiencing that grace, they're so simple to understand. And maybe you grew up in a culture, in a church culture, in a you know, denomination where they made it pretty complicated. But Jesus made it extraordinarily simple. And so today I want to unpack what those terms are that he gave for you and for me to experience grace in a personal and yet amazing way. So to do that, I want to take you back 2,000 years. Uh, to a conversation Jesus had with a man by the name of Nicodemus. And what's interesting about Nicodemus is he was one of the key chief religious leaders in the entire nation of Israel, leading the Jewish religion of Judaism. What that means for you is just this. As part of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, what they called the Sanhedrin, as part of this group of religious leaders, Nicodemus had extraordinary knowledge about God. He knew more about the Old Testament scriptures, what we call them, the Jewish scriptures as they called them. He knew more about those scriptures than any of us in the room. He had them all memorized. It was a requirement. 
He knew all kinds of things that he believed, well, you got to do this and you got to believe this and you got to act this way and you got to make these sacrifices. Like, he knew all the steps that they thought they needed to take in order to have a relationship with God where everything was okay between them. So this was an extraordinary religious man, tons of knowledge about God. And yet somehow, some way, and you're going to see this in a minute, somehow, some way that knowledge about God was not translating in a way that was personal. He was not translating in a way that was meaningful. He was not translating in a way other than well, we're just kind of going through the motions here. But this is not changing or transforming my life in any way. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And if you don't know much about the backstory, Nicodemus is part of a religious group, these Pharisees and Sadducees. They hated Jesus. They were confronting him all the time. Jesus challenged the status quo that they had set, and they didn't like that at all. So there was a lot of animosity between these two groups. But Nicodemus, to his credit, he's watching Jesus and he's thinking, well, wait a minute. There may be something I missed here. Wait a minute, I, I feel pretty confident that everything I know and everything I believe is true, I feel pretty confident I got it all figured out. Right? Nicodemus was part of a group that was extremely closed-minded. I think I got it all figured out. But Nicodemus had enough curiosity, which is an extraordinary trait, enough curiosity to go, maybe there's something I've missed. Maybe I should at least explore the other side. And so one night, uh, probably late at night, when nobody's going to see, when none of his buddies are going to know, when nobody else will find out, he sneaks away to where Jesus is staying. And John, who is one of Jesus' uh, disciples, closest friends, He's in the room that night as Nicodemus knocks on the door and says, hey, can I talk to Jesus? And John actually records for us the conversation that these two men had. As Jesus begins to help Nicodemus understand, oh, you do have a lot of knowledge. But that knowledge is actually not delivering the kind of life that you need. It's not what it takes for grace to become personal. So let me just read you the conversation and then we'll summarize it at the end. Here's what... John says, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we, and we're kind of assuming here, but I'm guessing we means, okay, me and a few of my religious leader buddies, I mean, we don't want anybody else in our group to know, but a few of us are curious. A few of us have been watching you. A few of us have been intrigued, and we know that you're a teacher who's come from God. Nobody else in our group does, but we do. And so he goes on, he says, nobody could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God weren't with him. I mean, this is how we've arrived at this conclusion. Obviously, Jesus, we don't know exactly who you are, but you're special. And because you're special, I have shown up. And there's some questions I want to ask you. And so Nicodemus pulls his phone out, opens up his notes app, you know, because he's made a good long list of questions. But before he can ask the first question, Jesus interrupts and makes this what seems like an off-the-wall statement. Jesus says to him, um, I'll tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. To which everybody in the room is kind of like, what? Like he, we weren't even talking about that. He didn't even ask questions. Jesus is like, well, I know, but Nicodemus, this is what you were about to ask me, right? It's why you came. Like, I already know. Hint, hint, who I am. I already know. You know, I could read your mind. Nicodemus, you were showing up because you're curious about the kingdom of God. Now, this is a phrase that made a lot of sense to them, doesn't make as much sense to us. But in essence, what the kingdom of God was, was this. Jesus was going, Nicodemus, you have shown up because... You are heavily invested in religion. You've got tons of knowledge about God. But it's not changing your life in a way that your relationship with God feels meaningful or personal. And that's what you're looking for, isn't it? You're looking for how to experience life, and it feels like you're part of the kingdom of God. Or another way of saying that, 
You're living life by the values that matter most to God. You're living a life where you and God, you feel like you have a relationship that is a friendship, that you're a part of a family. This is what it meant to them. He's going, okay, you came trying to figure out how God could be more personal. Well, listen, if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to have that kind of relationship, if you want to experience that kind of life, you have to be born again. Such an odd phrase. You got to be born again. It confused everybody in the room, including Nicodemus. So to his credit, he doesn't act like he's got it all figured out. You know, after all, he's a religious leader and he's supposed to explain to everybody else in the country how to live and relate to God. But instead, he asks another question. He remains curious. He says, okay, Jesus, how can a man be born when he's old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. And then they, everybody in the room laughed, okay? They all laughed because they're like, no, that's ridiculous. Of course you couldn't do that. Don't think about that too long. You'll get grossed out, by the way. Um, so they're like, no, no, no. Of course that can't be what it means. But this was Nicodemus' way of saying, what are you talking about? Because we only know about one kind of birth, and it's a physical birth, right? So you, you can't be talking about that. That's impossible. But I don't know what you mean by all this. And so Jesus begins to explain it. He says, well, I'll tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God. In other words, nobody can have this relationship with God where you're so confident he's for you, where it's so personal, where it's so meaningful. Nobody can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh, he says, gives birth to flesh. Oh yeah, it's a physical birth. We get that. But the spirit, Jesus says, gives birth to spirit. So you're saying there has to be some kind of like spiritual rebirth in me? Jesus goes, yeah, yeah. Matter of fact, he says, you shouldn't be surprised, Nicodemus, at my saying, you must be born again. To which Nicodemus is like, well, I'm still very surprised, actually. I don't understand why this is necessary. But this phrase, to be born again or to be born anew, to be born from above, to have a spiritual birth, if you will. The reason Jesus addresses this is because of something that you and I intuitively know, but none of us want to admit. And that is, by nature, every one of us as human beings is hardwired to be self-centered and self-absorbed. Now, you can push back on that all you want. Matter of fact, if you don't agree with me, come see me afterwards. I'm going to put you in the two-year-old volunteering next week in the two-year-old room. And when you come out of there, you'll be like, yep, everybody is self-absorbed, you know, because you don't have to teach a two-year-old to go, mine. It is, they got that figured out, right? This is just our nature. So the reason Jesus brings this up is because he believes something that maybe some of us don't believe or haven't recognized or acknowledged. And that is, our nature is broken. Our nature is broken. It's broken because our nature leads us naturally to be so self-absorbed, so self-centered, that at best, and this isn't really best, but at best, if we follow our nature, we're going to live a very self-indulgent life which when you get to the end of it, you realize you have nothing really to show for your life. It does not deliver the kind of life any of us are looking for. At worst, we follow our nature and we're going to live a self-destructive life. And we've all watched that happen. Jesus is going, Nicodemus, this is why you can have all kinds of knowledge about me, but knowledge about God does not change your nature. Knowledge about God doesn't change, if you will, your programming. Inside of you, everything in you is leading you away from the life, the values, the teaching, 
the other-centered nature of the kingdom of God, because that's all the kingdom of God is. It's an other's first kingdom. And until you get on that road, you're never going to find the life you wanted. Until you get on that road, you're never going to have a relationship with God that's meaningful and personal. Until you get on that road, grace is never going to dramatically and drastically change your life. So when Jesus says you got to be born again, all he's saying is, spiritually, you need a new nature. You need a fresh start. We got to do something to replace the old. This is why it's not enough to know about God. You have to allow God to do something in you that bursts something brand new. Or you'll always end up where you've always ended up. Now Nicodemus is hearing this and he's still scratching his head going, born again. Why, why would I, again, this is brand new terminology to this religious professional. Why would I need to be born again? I mean, I, I know all about God. I got all the Jewish scriptures memorized. I know all the routines. I know all the sacrifices. I know all the rules and laws you got to follow and not follow. I mean, why do I need that? This is about behavior for me. And Jesus goes, no, no, it's not about behavior. It's about internal transformation, not behavior modification. So again, to Nicodemus' credit, he asks another question. He says, well, how can this be? How can this be? And Jesus, I think just having a little fun with him, you know, poking a little bit, says, well, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things. It's like, Nicodemus, it is your job to guide our people throughout this entire nation in how to connect with God. And this is a brand new idea for you. Nicodemus is going, yeah, it's a brand new idea. And so Jesus explains in as simple a terms as possible, how to meet God on his terms, to experience this spiritual rebirth, to, to receive this new nature that God wants to give, it, to give us, which will guide us to living a life that we most want to have, the kind of life God created us to live. And he explains the terms in a single statement. This is so remarkable to me. This is fascinating. It's brilliant. He explains in a single statement that I don't care if you're a church person or not, you have heard this statement. It's the most famous statement that Jesus ever spoke. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you how this can be. Let me tell you how you can have a relationship with God that's this personal. He said, for God so loved the world. Not just like the world in general, but he's going, Nicodemus, what I'm about to tell you, God did because he loved you that much. Because you matter to him that much. Because it's that personal. You're that personal to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and his only son. Because after all, that's what love does, doesn't it? When you love someone deeply, you give and sacrifice extravagantly. You all have stories of doing things, of giving things, of being extravagant with your generosity and ways towards someone that just seemed irrational. But you loved them so much, you were willing to do whatever. Well, I don't know if we can wrap our head around this, but this is remarkable when you think about the fact that God's love for us was so deep, it drove him to do everything he did. It drove Jesus to show up on this earth. I mean, think about it. Jesus left a perfect environment, a perfect place. Imagine that you were in a place with no sin, no sorrow, no suffering, no death, no hurt, no pain, full of love, joy, peace. Your relationships were exactly what you always hoped they would be. You were in a perfect place. What would lead anyone to lead a perfect place and to show up in this messed up place 
This broken world that we all live in. Why would anybody do that? Will you only leave a perfect place to show up in this messed up place if there is something in this messed up place that you love more than the perfect place you're leaving? And this is Jesus' point. I'm here because I love you that much. I'm here because I want our relationship to be that personal. God so loved the world that he gave his one only son. And then Jesus gives Nicodemus the terms of how to have this kind of relationship. And it had to have been shocking to Nicodemus because he's coming from a religious system with 613 laws. You want to talk about terms and conditions, you know, the fine print at the bottom. Theirs was huge. And Jesus goes, no, no, no. I can sum it up in a single word. This is pretty easy. That whoever believes in him, not believes intellectually, because again, Nicodemus had that, right? He had all this knowledge about God. Jesus goes, no, no, no. That is, that, that doesn't move the needle at all. I'm talking about trust in now, you know what happens when you trust somebody. Your trust in them drives action. Your trust in them, when you trust somebody, you act in a different way than if you're with somebody you don't trust. When you trust somebody, you make different decisions, don't you, than when you're with people you don't trust. When you trust somebody, you will enter into partnerships or you know, agree to certain terms that you would not agree with with people that you do not trust. Trust, genuine trust, always results in action. Matter of fact, there is no trust if it doesn't drive you to act. There is no trust if you don't do some things because of that trust. That's how you know what trust looks like. And Jesus goes, okay, Nicodemus, you spent your entire life in a religion where you were going through the motions and you were doing all the right things, but it just never felt personal. Well, it wasn't personal. Because all of those things were devoid of the trust that is required to have a healthy relationship with your heavenly father. Trust is the foundation for any healthy relationship. That's no different with God. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, here's all you got to do. <laughs> you got to choose to trust in me. You got to choose to trust in, ultimately, my death and my resurrection. To offer you forgiveness, to make you a part of our family, to give you a new birth a spiritual birth, a new nature. You got trust in me. You got trust in me enough that you're willing to live your life by my values, not your own. You want to experience the kingdom of God, the kind of life that he created you to live. You got to trust in me enough to follow me, to let me lead you in that direction. That whoever trusts in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So wait a minute, Matt, what do you mean by perish? Well, this is what is so remarkable to me about God. A God who loves us so deeply at the same time gives us complete free will to choose whether to love him or not. It's remarkable, but God knows without free choice or free will, there is no such thing as love, right? So God gives all of us the opportunity to trust in him, to love him, to pursue a relationship with him or not. And this blows my mind, but God honors our free choice so much that if we don't want a relationship with him on this earth, he's not going to force us to have a relationship with him throughout eternity. God, as much as it must break his heart, chooses to honor our freedom and our choices. But those choices lead to some devastating consequences when we choose to reject him. And here's all I mean by that. 
John, the same John who recorded this conversation for us, John also wrote a letter where he said, God is love. And all throughout the New Testament scriptures, you read about how they say, okay, it's not like God chooses to do certain things. This is his nature. His nature is love. And all the good things that we experience in the world, there's actually a theological term for it. It's called common grace. The love, the peace, the joy, the fulfillment, the purpose, the meaning, all of those things that we experience in life. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you can experience those to some degree. All of those things we experience in life are because that is the very nature of God and God created us in his image, which means we can enjoy those while on this earth. We're benefiting from God's presence, whether we believe in his presence or not. But if you choose to never have a relationship with God, God will honor that. And in eternity, in eternity, you will have an existence that is devoid of all of those things because you don't want to be anywhere near God. And we can't even wrap our heads around, can we? We can't even wrap our heads around what it would be like to have an existence where love did not exist, where joy and purpose and meaning and happiness did not exist. But God honors our free will so much. He says, I'm not going to force you, but I am inviting you because I want you to experience eternal life, which is just an eternity of living life in the kingdom of God, living life fully experiencing without any sin, without any sorrow, without any pain, fully experiencing my nature and all that comes from my nature. A better life, a life of love, a life of purpose, a life of meaning, a life of joy, a life of happiness, a life of peace. And the amazing thing to me is that Jesus looked at Nicodemus and he looks at you and me and he says, all of that, that's grace, something we don't deserve. All of that's possible for you. If you just meet me on my terms, and they're so simple, they're so simple. God loved, God gave you trust and you receive. You're like, that's it? Yeah, that's it. You just choose to trust. You just choose to trust in Jesus and what he's done for you. And then live your life because trust results in action. You just choose to live your life trusting him enough to follow. And you experience here on this earth more and more of what he created you to experience. You trust in Jesus death and resurrection to pay the penalty for your sins you experience forgiveness you become part of God's family it's that simple the amazing thing about that is anybody can meet those terms can't they it's not like oh you have to be a good person these certain levels of behavior no it's just like nope just trust trust it's so simple and yes yeah, so hard and the reason it's so hard and the reason so many of us resist it is because we want to trust ourselves and it is so hard to trust anybody, including God, except ourselves. Our greatest sin is our self-salvation project, if you will. It's to go, oh, no, no, no. I know better. Oh, I know what's best for me. I know what I want to do with my life. I'm going to trust me. I'm not going to trust you, Jesus. It's why some of you have never begun a relationship with God. Because you just don't want to have enough humility to say, I'm going to quit trying to call the shots. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to acknowledge I need forgiveness. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to acknowledge I can't be good enough. I'm going to trust you. And it's why a lot of us who have done that at some point don't feel close to God anymore. Because an act of trust 
is what established our relationship with God, but then we quit trusting him. And now we're calling all the shots in our own life. It's why we're nice with a little slice of Jesus on the side and all of our friends are nice with no Jesus and we pretty much look the same. Because we're like, okay, it's good. I got the eternity covered now. I don't want to trust anymore. I'm just going to trust me. And so we don't give differently than anybody around us. We don't serve differently. We don't forgive differently. We don't love differently than people who don't have a relationship with God. We're just all nice people. But we are not transformed people. And we are not people who are fully trusting in the one who gave his life for us. We're not people who are willing to live by his values, to follow his direction. We're not willing to trust him with our lives and our futures. But Jesus says, it's that simple. These are my terms. You got to meet me on my terms, not yours. But my term is just trust. And then act based on that trust. Now, here's what's interesting. We know Nicodemus did this, but we don't know it because John tells us in this conversation, like, oh, Nicodemus prayed a prayer, and, you know, he accepted Jesus. No, no, there's none of that. John didn't tell us any of that. The reason we know Nicodemus made a choice to start trusting Jesus is because of a selfless, extraordinarily selfless act he made on the day of Jesus' death. Because Nicodemus, after his fellow religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, after his group, his people, after they drove and ultimately had Jesus crucified. You know what Nicodemus did? The most selfless thing he could do. He chose to turn his back on everything that he was getting, on all the benefits he was experiencing in his life because he was part of this powerful group. And he, along with his buddy Joseph, walked to the palace of Pilate. And they said, we would like to take the body of Jesus down and give him a proper burial. It was Nicodemus and Joseph who made sure he ended up in the tomb at the risk of all of their friends saying, well, you're not one of us anymore. But for Nicodemus, the grace that Jesus has demonstrated to him was so personal and it was so life-changing that he was willing to give all that up. To not self-protect, to not be self-absorbed, to not be self-indulgent, but to be selfless even if it cost him everything. So for those of us who follow Jesus, we're like, I'm a Christian, you know, I got. My question to you and to me is, are we willing to trust Jesus enough to be that selfless? Are we willing to trust Jesus enough to move beyond, oh, yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. Everything's good. I know where I'm going to go when I die. That's a pretty shallow faith. Are we willing to trust him enough to say, I want to experience life the way you intended for me to experience it? the kingdom of God way, if you will. So I want you to change me. I'm going to trust you to lead me. I'm going to follow you even when it doesn't make sense. I'm going to allow you to transform me internally so that when people look at me, there is a difference. I do give differently than other people. I serve differently. I forgive differently. I love differently. Until we're willing to do that, we will continue to go week to week with a faith, if you will, that is impersonal, going through the routines, going through the motions, going through the habits. And we'll have these moments every now and then where things are tough and oh, it feels a little emotional and we're like, oh, God, help me there. And then we just go right back to our lives. But God will never be personal. And you'll never be confident he's with you and he's for you. 
and you'll never experience the life he created you to live unless you're willing to trust enough to follow. So are you willing to do that? And for those of you who are not Christians, listen, if you're curious, uh, that's awesome. If you're closed-minded, if I could push a little bit on that, I mean, you're willing to listen to the other side of the issue on all kinds of issues. So would you be open-minded enough to actually legitimately explore the other side of the issue? Whatever your hang-ups are, whatever your reasons are, whatever, you know, whatever problems you have, you know, whatever the thing is that pops in your head when I start teaching certain things, and you're like, I don't believe that, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. That's fine, but are you open-minded enough to at least explore it? Maybe to get in a starting point discussion group. We're going to start another one next month where you can talk through some of these issues with other people who have the same questions and hangups. Or maybe sit down with somebody like me or somebody else on our staff who's equipped to go, well, here's some evidence you should consider. Here's, here's why I landed where I landed. Why did you land where you landed? And let's just talk about it. Maybe to read some books that are recommended to you. Not that you're going to change your opinion, but you at least ought to understand the other side of the argument. And there's way more to the other side of the argument than you currently know. So you're willing to be that open-minded. And then finally, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, but you've been curious, you've been exploring, and you're ready to experience, you're like, okay, I think I'm in. I just don't know what to do, but I think I believe this. Well, Jesus just told you what to do. It's almost too simple to be true. You just trust. You want his grace to be personal. You want to experience his forgiveness. You want to be confident that you're a part of his family. He's going to be with you. That you have a relationship with him. You just trust. You just tell him. I'm, I'm going to stop trusting myself. I'm going to start trusting you. I need your forgiveness. I need your guidance. I need your direction. I'm going to trust you. And that trust will unlock something extraordinary for you. Because trust is what ignites relationships. Let's pray together. Father, for those who, maybe for the first time, are ready to trust, my prayer is in this moment they would just tell you, because it's simple, just tell you, okay, I'm going to, I need your forgiveness, Jesus. I, I'm going to trust in your death and resurrection to provide it for me. I need your grace. I'm going to trust you to give it to me. As best I know how, I'm going to trust you enough to follow you from this point forward. To live life by your values and not mine. To live by this new, other-centered kind of nature that I'm trusting you to give me. And less by my self-centered one. For those of us who are Christians, but it just feels so stale and impersonal. It's probably because we stopped trusting you a while ago. So as we're challenged or reminded or prompted by you to trust you with some decision, to handle something differently than we would, to do something different with our time than we normally would, would you help us to trust you enough to do it, to let you lead us instead of leading ourselves? And finally, for those who just are so closed-minded and locked off to this, I get it because we all are that way on certain issues. Would you help them to have enough humility to just explore? They may never change what they believe, but to at least explore and come to understand the other side of the issue. 
Because that's what curious, intellectually honest people do. Most of all, Jesus, thanks for making the term so simple for us, where any of us could meet it. And thanks for proving your love for us by leaving perfection to show up in our messed up world because you loved us in this world more than you loved the perfection you had. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, if you'd like more content like this, subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our Journey app to access all of our recent message content. And our app is the easiest way to share this content with friends. For more information on our church or to find our app or our YouTube channel, just visit journeycalway.com. That's journeycalway.com. Thanks for listening.